0: District 61, District 6, Stage 1 Shooting, Skimmer, Wayne, near Lakeland, Charles, 478, Tango, 378, Tango, 1654. District 37, around. <laughs> District
1: 87, around. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Sebalero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well, by that old clock on the wall, it's time to go Inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Cebalero. I want to thank you for joining us. And with me always is that guy, the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Kelly, how are you?
0: I'm good, man. Good. Just uh, still uh, muddling through my the hybrid pressure class I'm teaching, figuring out the, uh, uh, the ins and outs of it.
1: Yeah, I heard, uh, I saw some of your Facebook posts, and uh, it seems that there are some challenges already, huh? (laughs) Oh,
0: man, let me tell you. (laughs) Oh, uh, not so much challenges. It's just that uh, there's a certain subset of uh, students that, you know, sign up for a class with a significant online component and apparently don't own computers and barely know how to look up something on a smartphone. I I just, I I have no idea how that kind of thing goes on in 2016 but apparently it does so
1: that is hilarious that is hilarious but i know with your nurturing background and your father fatherly uh advice you will get them through this kelly grayson <laughs>
0: yeah it was uh, it was my kind of it's it was my dad's kind of fatherly advice you know uh full of uh insults and four-letter
1: words i'm sure it was i'm <laughs> sure it was but they'll be the better for it so i was uh you know, I received a email, and I didn't forward this along to you. It actually mm-hmm. came in this morning, and uh, it came from Charlene in the great state of Arizona, and she wants to know why Kelly Grayson is called the Ted Nugent of EMS. So, you know, I, I, I got to say, and I think it's interesting that uh, you know people are wondering about it. But I've always had the tendency of naming people. When I was in charge (laughs) of the clinical process at MedStar, one of the things I would do with the new hires is I got in the habit of nicknaming them throughout the academy. We had a five-, six-, seven-week academy, and throughout that process of dealing with them every day, I would give them nicknames. So, Kelly, I think it came where you and I were actually talking about this show where we were in Missouri – in Lake of the yep. Ozarks, we were teaching together, and uh, I came up with that you're the Ted Nugent of EMS. It kind of just stuck, and I got to tell you, I think it's one of the best nicknames that I've ever given anybody.
0: I I appreciate that. I I tell Charlene that that uh, I I got the the moniker the Ted Nugent of EMS because I'm I'm into guns and hunting, and and strongly support the the Second Amendment, and because I'm also given to uh, blunt uh opinions uh strongly stated so uh hopefully i don't uh i don't say stupid things as much as the real ted does cuz some things he says it, even i can't get behind i just uh i listen to him sometimes and roll my eyes and say uh, you know uncle ted please get off my side
1: that's right uh, well let <laughs> but, me give, let um, me put your mind at ease yeah you do say stupid things but that is the power of editing <laughs> that no one will ever know i will not let anybody know the stupid things you say. So, I I got oh, your back.
0: Thank you, man. You you're you're, you're a, a scholar and a gentleman. I
1: try to be. I try to be. Well, let's go ahead and do some news and I'm going to give you the first shot at the story. What do you got?
0: Yeah, we got a uh this Lexington, Kentucky a story on the first. The House uh Kentucky House passed a uh line-of-duty death benefit bill for EMS providers. So now if you die in the line of duty in, in Kentucky, uh, along with firefighters and, and police, you are eligible for line-of-duty death benefits uh, to the tune of $80,000 and uh, free tuition to uh, uh, state universities for your children and family. So it's, it's going to the Senate for a vote, so I would urge that uh, any EMS professionals in Kentucky who uh, Who support this need to contact their state senators and tell them to support it
1: yeah and and i didn't even go a step further first off let's let's give kudos to the state of kentucky for doing something that Mm -hmm. no one else has had the opportunity or let's say even the nerve to do and that is to give these benefits to people who are out there serving just like anybody else now we know the challenge kelly the challenge is you know our police brethren and our fire brethren are supported by tax base And the city has a sense of ownership into taking care of them, where EMS doesn't have that. But regardless, if you were killed in the line of duty, there should be something that goes to your family as we work side-by-side with our police and fire brethren. Now, what I will say is I'll take this a step further, and I think that we do give kudos – and pats on the back to the people in Kentucky. But take this news story, ladies and gentlemen, and send it to your lawmakers. Mm -hmm. Remember, your lawmakers work for you. You put them into those seats. Send this news story to them and say, we now need to get behind this in our state, and we now need to bring this to the forefront. So if any of our peers get hurt, On-the-job injuries, I'm sorry, if any of our folks die in the line of duty, that their family is taken care of, and they're given the respect that they need for uh, giving the ultimate sacrifice uh, in the line of duty, so...
0: Yeah, you know, I'll I'll go even further than that. You know, most most of the places or most of the states you see that that enact bills uh extending uh line of duty death benefits to EMS personnel uh limit that to public uh public employees or people uh who are who are employees of municipal agencies. I think it needs to extend to uh private EMS and to volunteers as well. You know, still over 60% of the EMS in this country is provided by volunteers, um, and, and private for-profit EMS is, is a huge portion of it as well, and often their benefits are not as uh, extensive as the, uh, as the uh, employment benefits of our, our public sector uh, brethren in EMS, and I think the, uh, I think the uh, LODD benefits need to be blanket across the board.
1: I'm with you 100%. Let's go ahead and yeah. uh, uh, let me go to my news story. This comes out of New York City. One of our EMS1 columnist colleagues, David Koenig, has decided to uh, be the creator of a petition that's going to the White House that's asking for a national EMS minimum wage increase. And one of the things that the White House has to do is when they receive a petition of over 100,000 signatures – they have to give a verbal response, or they have to give some type of response to that petition. And within this petition, it calls for EMTs to have a minimum salary of uh, a minimum hourly rate of twenty of fifteen dollars, and paramedics to have a minimum rate of twenty dollars. Uh, currently, the medium pay for EMT is $15.24. I would really like to know where it's $15.24. And I got to tell you, I applaud Dave. I get behind this 100%. Uh, I want to be able to see it work. Now, the challenge is going to be, how do we pay for this? And the, the you know when we think about private EMS and, and what they pay, And I got to tell you, you know, when I went to Texas uh, from Boston, you know, I had the opportunity to work up there in the Northeast, and I was making a decent wage. I think I was making about seventeen or so dollars an hour. And I went down to Wichita Falls, and I uh, called the local EMS agency, and I said, "Yeah, I'd like to come work for you. This is my experience, and and how much uh, do you pay?" Their answer was twelve. So I hung up the phone with them, and I am thinking, man, twelve dollars an hour. How is that gonna work here? And, and and is that something I want to do? But then it made me think, and I called them back, I said, Excuse me, I said, Did you were you meaning twelve dollars an hour? And they said, No, twelve thousand dollars a year. And it's oh, obscene. It was truly obscene. And you know, the challenge is going to be now that if we get this passed, and I gotta tell you, I'm all for it, and we gotta find ways to do it is there a way to pay for it and is there a way to make these wages uh work for our workforce? Kelly, I'm here to tell you I think the answer is no.
0: I I don't think so either and and I have tremendous respect for Dave and known him since since I started blogging in EMS and I I applaud his uh, intentions here. I just I I can't agree with with uh uh, his approach to it uh, i i don't think that we need to take a, a page out of the book of uh disgruntled uh mcdonald 's workers uh and and uh petition and and protest for for greater wages. I think we need to demonstrate value for what we do. Uh, and part of that is, is is research, and part of that is is uh, exemplifying the the professionalism to which we all aspire to. Uh, I think we need to prove that we are worth more than we are than we are, rather than just say, "Hey, you know, we save lives for a living. Uh, we deserve more than McDonald's workers." Uh, when the McDonald's workers and and the fast food workers uh, were were doing their protest, um, I didn't much care. I thought it was ludicrous that uh um a burger flipper is is actually said on television that that they do more than EMS workers. Uh I found that uh highly funny and and insulting. I don't begrudge another profession what they are paid. If the market will bear what you are paid, I don't care. If I wanted to do that profession and make that kind of money, I'll go do it. But I want to be in EMS and I want to make good money in EMS. Um however, Uh, I've said long ago and and stand by it today that no one in EMS is paid what they are worth. Not a single person in EMS is paid what they are worth. About 25% of us are paid far less than what we are worth. And about 75% of us are paid far more than what we are worth. I mean, I got to tell you, I
1: don't don't know. I don't know that that's a 75-25 split, man. Well, I mean, okay. Uh, I got to be honest
0: with you. 60-40 split, fine. Um, but I think, uh, I think a lot of us in EMS we're, we're, um, are, are not professionals. We are tradesmen. And we don't do a good job. Uh, we don't demonstrate the value uh, of our education and our dedication to the craft, um, and, and I'm sorry that's that's my opinion, um, and, and I wouldn't, uh, I'm not going to speak out against uh, uh, Dave's petition, and, and may even sign it. I just don't think it's the the right tactics to to achieve what we want.
1: Yeah, and I think that there's a couple different things to look at here when we think about is there an opportunity for the money to be there. I think the answer in the eventual sense is yes. But I don't think it's under the current model that we have. Yeah,
0: not right now. We drink from a very finite revenue pool. Yeah, I mean, we talk uh, about... It's got to get deeper.
1: Yeah, if we're we're lucky, maybe we're getting the reimbursement from Medicare of $421 for the calls that we do. makes no Mm -hmm. difference. You send the $1,500 bill out the door, you're only collecting $421. But here's where I think that we might be able to pay for this service, and I'm going to go back to the future model of community paramedicine. I was talking to a peer of mine, and I don't want to give his organization, but this year they're going to make $1.4 million in community paramedicine money, and that's reimbursement for their community paramedicine program. There is a best practice right there. Now, that is a far cry from what they need to develop and have an operational budget. So now when we start to think about the opportunity of cost share, when we start to think about the opportunity of doing work with ACOs, when we start to think about the opportunity of of uh you know becoming resources with our stakeholders, there is the opportunity to make money. I think from there there'll be the there'll be more of an opportunity to uh, pay higher wages. One of the challenges I think there is right now is in the model that we're in. You know, again, you're making $421 maybe per ambulance call, but how many people are we taking to the hospital that get us zero reimbursement? We've gotta be able now to start to think about how do we get those people to alternate uh, alternate, uh, destinations? How do we treat them at home? And how do we reduce the amount of work that we're doing if -hmm. we're not getting paid for it anyway?
0: Yeah, I think there's no question that we need to transition. EMS needs to transition from a fee-for-transport reimbursement model to a fee-for-service model. Uh, we need to end the the practice of looking at EMS as a uh, means of conveyance to an emergency department and nothing more. Uh, and that's what we're paid for right now. Um, so I think
1: y- – I think we're talking yeah. about semantics, but let me just be sure to, that I understand what you're talking about. We, right now, we're, we are getting paid for a ser- fee for service, and that's the services we're taking people to the hospital. If, I, if I'm if i hearing you correctly, what you're saying is, is to be – instead of being reimbursed for the transport, be reimbursed for the outcome.
0: Exactly. Yeah, okay. we – we are currently no matter what we do and how much we do of it uh if it doesn't include rolling in an ambulance to an emergency department we don't get paid for it uh with with a very few exceptions um and and costs are figured on that basis uh it's figured on the cost of the transport not on on the actual value of the of the uh services we provide um and until we get away from that uh i don't think that that wages are going to drive much higher uh if at all um you know i know that around the country uh you know that these uh Community uh, paramedic and the mobile integrated health care programs are, are being kind of looked at as test beds for shifting away from that reimbursement model, uh, and I really hope they, they prove their worth. But until we are actually start to get paid for the medical care that we render um, rather than uh, the pressure of a foot on an accelerator – uh, nothing much is going to change in our, uh, in our wages. Yeah.
1: Very interesting. Very interesting. I think we'll make this, uh, our quick clip for the week. Cause I think this is an important topic that everybody should get behind. So we'll give us our next news story, Kelly. What do you got?
0: We got a story out of, uh, Clark County, Nevada, uh, Rancho high school, uh, medical magnet high school prepares students for EMS careers. Uh, this is a, uh, high school dedicated to, uh, vocational, uh, uh, training, uh, for, uh, and, and prep for healthcare related professions. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with the medical magnet model. I've, I've done some teaching in one of them, but, uh, they're grooming these kids, uh, early on, uh, uh, for careers in EMS and healthcare, and uh, it, it's kind of uh, putting some meat in the the uh, recruiting principle that we, you know, start them young and, and get them interested in emergency medical services at an early age, and maybe we'll form career-long uh, EMTs, you know, people who spend their, spend their uh, career uh, in our field rather than just using it as a stepping stone to something else. Uh, I'm I'm reading here that it's uh they're they're actually having some success with it and uh, I think this uh there's some merit to the uh to the approach. I I didn't have that same uh, success with the the program I taught in, but I, I think that was more in the way it was set up uh, and administered uh, rather than uh, a problem with the concept itself.
1: So, Go ahead and and uh, I'm not familiar with the magnet process for EMS. Can you share that with us?
0: Well, uh, medical magnet or magnet high schools are basically high schools that draw students from a, a fairly large geographical area, and they're they're dedicated to to one particular type of uh, thing. And in this case, it's a uh, most of the. Uh, um, I mean, this it's still a high school. You still get a diploma at the end of it, but uh, many of the extracurricular. Uh, topics and activities and many of the electives and stuff are, are, um, classes with a healthcare focus. Um, and in this program, uh, given as an example here, if it's like other medical magnet, uh, EMT classes, uh, you can start your EMT classes as a junior or senior. If you're 17 years of age, uh, um, you can start your classes and, and graduate, uh, with a uh, with an EMT certification. Uh, as soon as you turn 18, um, uh, I know that National Registry now allows you to test before you're age 18 and before you uh, graduate from high school, But uh, they will test, allow you to test, and they will hold your records, and once you have graduated high school and can show that diploma and and you have uh, turned, uh, reached the age of majority, they will go ahead and process your test, and and you are then certified as an EMT. And that's what uh, students in most uh, high school EMT programs go through. So... um, didn't work well the time I did it but I I think that was because of it didn't have many of the uh, the uh, application standards and safeguards in place that Rancho High School has um, uh, in place I uh, pretty much anyone who wanted to take an EMT class at this particular medical magnet high school I taught at was uh, was allowed to take it and I'll say this you know it takes a uh, it takes a very special high school student to excel in an EMT class, Uh, not just one with good grades, but one who is, who's actually dedicated to a uh, high volume uh, course load uh, and can, can really focus on the task at hand. And uh, my students weren't. Uh,
1: I mean, there has to be a, there has to be a certain maturity level too, I would think as well. I mean, we start to do that, which I I don't know, you know, I'm in support of the high school programs. um, But I got to tell you in, in the ones that I've seen, I've not seen many of those folks that have come out of that program who have, who have gone into the EMS career field.
0: Yeah, I, um, most of them, well, uh, we go back to our, our uh, previous topic wages. Um, why go to a, uh, why, why start focusing on a healthcare profession in high school that is going to earn you substantially less uh, than another healthcare profession that only takes a year or two more of education? Uh, so many of them go into nursing or respiratory therapy or physical therapy or, or any one of a number of career fields that pay substantially more than EMS. But I do think this, you know if you even if you you get a, a high school student from a medical magnet school that, that gets their EMT certification, stays in it a year or just gets their EMT certification and, and never works in the field, but moves on, uh to uh nursing classes and becomes a nurse. Uh that makes for a more well-rounded nurse uh one that has a greater understanding and appreciation for the challenges of EMS. Uh and I think that's a win-win situation.
1: And I think that just goes back to the debate the old debate is is EMS a career field or is EMS a stepping stone? And i got to tell you, with the experience that I have, I've got to go and lean towards the stepping stone. Oh, yeah. Because when we think about the amount of people who stay in EMS and make EMS a career, uh, you could probably list them on your hand of how many people are doing that. And i got to think it's a small percentage of our career field. You know, now as we start to move up the ladder of having years and years of experience, we could take the positions that bring us a little bit more money. And we stayed in the career field, not necessarily because of the money that we were making, because of the impact of the responsibilities that we had on on the, you know, in the street. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. But, you know, is EMS, does EMS, even if you pay somebody $15 an hour, does EMS give you the, the security that this is a job you can do for the next 40 years? Yeah. And I got to tell you, I don't know that it does. But let me go ahead and bring you my next story. And uh, this one kind of was a little bit surprising for me. It comes out of Illinois. A fire chief lawyer's take on public duty doctrine. And, And what the story is, a recent Illinois court ruling claims responders will no longer have immunity from lawsuits brought by individuals who accuse them of not providing the proper level of response. And uh this was very very interesting. This public duty case is interesting. First off, it's important to bear in mind that the ruling does not dispose of the case or says that the plaintiff's win. It simply says that the defendants cannot use a particular defense and that the case may still proceed to mm-hmm. trial. And I'm interested Kelly, what are your thoughts about this article?
0: Well, it's it's not surprising to me in in uh in researching one of my uh, articles on documentation and and legal consent and that sort of thing um and the whole focus of that, that article and conference presentation was on legally defensible documentation. Uh, I did a lot of collaborating with with EMS lawyers, uh, guys like Wes Ogilvie and Gene Gandy and, and several others that I know and am and personally friends with. Uh, and one of the things that, that was pointed out is that civil immunity or governmental immunity has been eroding in the courts for, for a number of years. And it's no longer really true to think that just because you work for a governmental agency, uh, that you're immune from prosecution. Uh, that used to be the case, but the courts have, have started to, uh, or have not, haven't just started. The courts have been, uh, nibbling away at those protections for quite some time. And just because you're not a, uh, just because you're a public or a civil service employee does not mean you are immune from, from civil liability anymore. Uh, the government still protects you, uh, in certain regards, uh, as a civil servant or a, a public, uh, employee, um, but nowhere near to the extent that you were 20, 30 years ago. So, uh, not surprising to me and I don't, I don't necessarily think that that is a bad thing, uh, I think that no matter where you work uh and who funds your uh your paycheck, whether it's taxpayer dollars or whether it's revenue generated from taking people to the hospital and rendering care like in a private e m s agency uh, I don't think that there should be any different standard in how well you are defended uh for negligence and 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 how well you are uh uh sued for the same um just because you are uh working for a public agency with deep pockets uh doesn't mean that you get to render shoddy care um uh, and vice versa for the for the private EMS folks so i don't i don't think it's a bad thing that a uh, public duty doctrine is has has sort of uh been chipped away at and and uh that those responders will no longer have immunity right. I, I think a lot of bad responders use that that uh, as a safety net for providing uh, substandard care.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly where I was going to go, and I'm glad that you went there. And and you and I have talked about uh, different fire agencies that have uh, you know given poor care
0: or or can't tell when someone is dead or missed a patient on a scene. It's not just fire, but you see it in in fire agencies, uh, and you wonder what whatever becomes of it.
1: Yeah, and I think that you're absolutely right. So in that sense um maybe this helps us do a better job you know you, you know you get the fire department who who uh, assaults a, a patient uh, that's post-dictal is, is that something that would have happened if you knew that the opportunity that uh, the public duty doctrine was not going to protect you now when it came to a lawsuit yeah you know so i i agree with you 100% i think that if we're doing our job better and cleaner than the next guy There Mm -hmm. is no worry about you wanting to uh, sue me. Go ahead. What what are you going to say? But you've got to be comfortable with your skills. You've got to be comfortable with the backing of your organization. You've got to ensure that you have a patient-first approach. You've got to ensure you're delivering the highest quality of patient care. And it goes back to the, are you treating people like you would treat your family? And Uh and one of the things that I used to say to paramedics all the time is, you know what? Let me ask you a question. Uh, Would you want to be treated by you? And you'd yeah. be surprised at some of the responses that you get, and the majority of the time the answer is no but i I agree with you hundred percent, Kelly. I think that this does give some uh, layer of you better do your job the right way
0: you know and I've said for for many years now that there's one uh, one thing that private For-profit EMS agencies do uh, teach their employees and their medics very well, uh, and that is the concept of customer service. Because when you're in a competitive marketplace where they can call another agency, you learn to provide good customer service because without good customer service, they're going to, they're going to seek out your competitors. Um, and and that's in some cases, I'm not going to point fingers and, and say that it's a problem with the fire department or municipal EMS agencies. Uh, I will say that it is a problem with some of the people in those agencies that they don't provide good customer service because they don't think there are any ramifications for being jerks. Um, You see them uh, belittling people or or speaking to to patients and family members in in non-respectful terms uh, because uh, they don't think the calls are worthy of their time. Uh, They're lifesavers. And, yeah, you know, we we do – hopefully save lives now and then, but the vast majority of the calls we run are not life-saving calls. And there's one thing that Jean has pointed out to me many times over the years is that the very best lawyer repellent there is, is not great clinical skills. It's being a nice person because people don't sue when they, when they actually have a, uh, or people sue because they're pissed. They sue because they're mad. You can you can render some pretty awful, behind the times, ineffective, maybe even harmful medical care. But if you are a nice person and render good customer service the vast majority of the time, you're not going to get sued. Uh, and that's the you know that's the sad truth. Uh, but I know quite a few very good doctors who've been sued a number of times and and have to pay um, far more exorbitant malpractice this premiums than they already uh, would have to, simply because they're jerks. They're excellent doctors, but they just don't know how to talk to people and be nice. Um, and and the same holds true for uh, for many people in EMS. Uh, you gotta you gotta learn to be nice because in the long term, uh, no one's gonna care. How uh, none of your patients are going to care how expertly you wielded your laryngoscope, or how often you can get a stick on the get an IV on the first stick. What they're going to care about is how nice you were to them and, and how you made them feel during the transport. Um, you know, is it fair that we we are judged by that standard? Well, I, I think I, I don't mind being judged by that standard, but. Uh, um, I, I wish that uh, the public knew more about my my medical skills, uh, but in the meantime, uh, I'm I'm perfectly happy with them uh, being satisfied with the fact that I was nice to them.
1: Yeah, and I think that one of the things to think about too is is the definition of what we do. Are we in the customer service business? Or are we in the most public? definitely? Are we in the are we in the public uh, safety business? And, you know, a lot of times we'll we'll stand on the side that uh, we're public safety, and I think we have to realize our – I think the answer is yes. We're in public safety, but we are in the customer service business, and we've got to be able to treat that person with the very best uh, customer care – as well as the best patient care that we can because as you mentioned you you, I think you said it very well in areas that have more than one EMS agency I have taken a lot of business away from other EMS agencies because of the way that their employees deal with the staff and how employees Mm -hmm. deal with the patients and how they're not coming in with their equipment and how they're not giving good customer service and uh I gotta tell you that's a big part of what we're doing and uh you know, I think that I do. And again, I think just to put a cap on it, I applaud it. And I think that this is something that everyone should support.
0: You know, and and you mentioned, uh, are we, are we public safety or are we a customer service oriented organization? And when we're And as you said, we're a little bit of both. That's part of the identity crisis that has held EMS back over the years is is we can't really decide if we're fish or fowl or good red meat. Uh, Are we public health? Are we medicine? Are we public safety? Um, I think we're a little bit of both, and and I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, But the lack of customer service also negatively impacts those public safety agencies. So I think no matter what you're in, be it fire suppression uh and fire EMS or or private EMS or public EMS, uh taxpayer funded third service EMS or police, customer service needs to be an integral part of your skill set. Um look at, well, Ferguson riots, you know, um why why did did all that explode into into violence for for so long when you were when you were working up there chris is not so much uh the the brown killing is it just boiled over because the populace thought uh, you know they were in an adversarial relationship with the police department um and, and you see that in some areas, and, and the police departments that do it well and don't have those, those kind of problems uh, somehow manage to do the job of policing the populace while still not alienating people with poor customer service. Uh, so I don't think it's uh, an either or proposition. I think you can do both. So, uh, but hey, that's what I think. We would like to hear what you think. So email us at the show at ems1.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And for myself and co-host Chris Sabolaro, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We'll catch you guys next week.